humans, this is Brandon with episode 57 of Not A Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show, the world's greatest podcast about the world's greatest heroes. Josh is still resting up this week following some health stuff, but don't worry, I've still got one amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Hello, uh, shoot, line? Humans, that's uh, it, humans, thank you. There we go. Oh my god, you sure you're not a robot? <laughs> um, um, I'm having trouble computing right now. Yeah. Alright, this week we will be covering Detective Comics 1042, Action Comics 1034, Superman, Son of Kal-El number 2, Robin number 5, Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom number 4, Batman, Superman number 21, and Superman vs. Lobo number 1. And of course, make sure you stick around until the end of each episode to hear our top three books of the week, The Biggest Stinker, and to find out which titles might just make But before we get going with the show, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. And thank you listeners, too. Like, download, and share episodes so we get more listeners and bring you more content. You can access our Patreon. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. So with that out of the way, let's get into some news. Rob, what's up with you this week? Oh, what's up with me? I, I, I ate some bad gravy last night. <laughs> oh, no. We, we got this, uh, uh, how do you describe it without giving away the name? So it's it's one of those services where you order a recipe and they send you all the ingredients mm. and you just cook it and everything's ready for you. It's, it's really good, but yeah. I cooked uh, an onion gravy last night with our roasted Ooh. chicken and it tasted delicious, if not very oniony. My wife does not like onions, so I had the entire pot to myself. I did not finish the gravy, but it did oh, not man. sit well. Oh, that's uh, not yeah. Good. How you feeling? Feeling better now. Okay, that's yeah. good. It was definitely a an interesting choice. Yeah, nothing. Uh, nothing new here on my end. Just uh, I'm I'm pretty much all moved in at this point. Nice. So. Um, you know, just kind of getting settled in. School has started again for me, so that's slowly starting to ramp up and taking over your life. Uh, yeah, yeah, and piling on more work. So uh, I, I really had to kind of pick my moments of when I could actually read my books for this week and then type out some of the summaries. So it's it's a little more scattershot for me, at least, where uh, some of my summaries are concerned. Um, but hopefully, it's not too bad. Um, on the comic side of things, I only have two announcements, but, uh, Rob, if you have any, I'll let you go first. Uh, honestly, nothing here. I'm just thinking about all the, the comic announcements we had this week, and I think I only remember about half of them, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I, like I said, I only had two, so I'll, I'll mention them, but if, if I forget anything, please feel free to, to mention anything else, yeah. but. Um, I would say probably the biggest piece of news. I wonder if we should start with the biggest or save that one for last. Um, so actually, maybe I'll, I'll start with something quicker yeah. uh, before we get into the big one. But we got our first look at the excuse me. We got our first look at the Aquaman: The Becoming series. Our first look at issue number one. That is, of course, from Brandon Thomas with art from Diego Ortegu. Inks from Wade Von Gret, Gret Graw Badger, that was tough, uh, and colors from Adriano Lucas. Um, not sure who's doing the letters, we don't know yet, but uh, 
yeah, it's we basically just got the the preview and it, it looks beautiful. Uh, it's the same guy who did the colors for you know Aquaman, Future State Aquaman story that Brandon Thomas also did, and of course Adriano Lucas is doing Nightwing and Action Comics, and those both look great. So already this is a, a beautiful and very vibrant looking comic, at least from what I can tell. But it definitely looks like it's going to be an interesting story. Um, they also got a quote from Brandon Thomas saying that uh, the story is really uh, more of a coming-of-age story uh, as Jackson evolves from Aqua Lad to Aquaman. Um, and even though the series starts with Jackson kind of being in a, a good place in his life, you know, getting lessons from uh, Arthur Curry and Mira and uh, apparently Batman as well, um, it's also going to involve, you know, bringing in some of the darkness and seeing whether or not Jackson can, you know, weather the storm, no pun intended, uh, and, uh, and see, ha had to throw it out there, yeah, yeah. Um, and see, and see if he has what it takes to be Aquaman. So, um, I'm definitely pretty excited to check this one out. Uh, I didn't realize this was a, a Pride book. I thought, for some reason, I think I just thought those were for Pride Month, but, um, that's super cool that they're keeping the branding there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just noticed it on the cover. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it should be very exciting. And uh, previews out now, so go check it out and get your first impressions. Of it. Yeah, it looks really good. The artwork looks interesting. Uh, I kind of hope uh, this is this is interesting because I'm a huge fan of Arthur Curry as Aquaman, and I have no problem with. Oh my God! I'm, oh Jesus. Jackson, sorry, uh, becoming <laughs> Aquaman as well, because you could have, this, look at the Flash, you can have multiple heroes with the same title, but I wouldn't mind if he graduated from Aqualad, because let's face it, that title itself is just dated, and just become something else, whether it be Aquaman or just give him his own name, like how Garth became Tempest, mm. graduated from Aqualad, now Jackson becomes something else, maybe Storm. That might be too copyrighted, yeah. though. But well, it sounds like, uh, and again, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I, I did get to read the preview, um, and and this was the vibe that I was getting. But it sounds like, much like with John, uh, Jackson will kind of be pinch hitting for uh, Arthur while he's on Mars or, or some some other type of mission, basically that requires him to step away for a little bit and someone else to fill the role. And it sounds like he's kind of prepping uh, Jackson for that role. Um, although it, it is interesting that he didn't approach uh, Mira or Tempest with that. My guess would be, you know, Mira's obviously busy, the queen of Atlantis, and I don't even know where Garth is at this point, what he's doing. I think the last time you saw him was in Justice League Garth. Maybe he's yeah. helping them. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think he's like being Atlantean royal guard or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, but yeah, it's, it, it, I hope I hope we do get a little bit of. Um, and this is kind of a side tangent, but I do hope we get a little bit of, of Garth in the series too, because that was something that we were promised during Rebirth. Uh, this kind of partnership between uh, Garth, who's Tempest, obviously, and uh, Jackson. Aqualad and, and they were going to kind of have like a mentor-mentee relationship but we never really get to see that because you know after uh, Death Metal the book kind of pivoted 
two titans anyway. Yeah. So I, I hope I hope we do get it to see a little bit of that relationship. It sounds like it's definitely going to focus a lot on Jackson. But I hope we can at least get like I don't know a cameo or a scene or something. Yeah. Uh, my also biggest question. I, I keep saying biggest question. One of my questions is: it going to tie in with the Black Manta book? I haven't really read anything yep. about that. I don't even know what the Black Manta book is going to be about, but it would be interesting, or at least make sense in some regard if it had some kind of crossover. Yeah. Well, it. Um, I, I I do remember reading an interview with the Black Manta author and um, saying that there there would be. A little bit of connected tissue, but I think they were, you know, both kind of going to be their own independent stories. That being said, um, it, you know, there, there's definitely going to be some kind of linking thread between them, because uh, we obviously have that connecting cover from uh, Francis Manipur of uh, Aquaman becoming number one, Black Manta number one. That's a great cover, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I don't know what the full connection is going to be, but it sounds like there's going to be at least some kind of minimal connection. So that, that'll be interesting. All right, should we uh, get into the big news? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, so um, as I'm sure many of you are aware, uh, by now at least, um, the current Batman title is going through some changes. Uh, given the very sudden and uh, very, yeah, very sudden announcement that uh, current writer James Tynan IV would be leaving the title effective immediately after issue 117, uh, based on, you know, a, a deal that he had received from Substack to basically go off and do his own stuff. And that kind of blew the uh, DC Comics community apart for a little bit. You know, everyone's wondering, well, if he's leaving, who could possibly be next? Who's going to be staying on the ship? Well, as of yesterday, we got our official announcement uh, for who that new author is going to be. And uh, this is someone that I'm sure everyone knows at this point, practically a a well-known household name at DC Comics, but uh, the new writer for the Batman title will be none other than Joshua Williamson himself, writer of Flash, Justice League, Infinite Frontier, currently writing Robin, Deathstroke, Inc., and plenty of other titles that I'm sure you've read over the past couple years. But um, yeah, he will be taking over the book in December with a new arc called Abyss, a new artist, Jorge Molina, who is amazing. Um, and, uh, very exciting, a new suit, which may or may not be the same suit as, uh, Batman suit in Batman Incorporated. We're not entirely sure, but it looks very similar. And we can thank our, our resident, uh, our resident detective Rob Argle for <laughs> picking up the, uh, the connection between the new suit and the Batman Incorporated suit. I wasn't. I, I knew it looked familiar, but I'd kind of forgotten where it was from. So yeah, um, uh, yeah it was. Well, you mentioned about the the confirmation. Somebody else on Twitter also brought that up when he announced it there, and he agreed that yeah, it is the Batman ink suit. And somebody else had an image of the the Batman ink suit from back in that series, and it's almost a spot on comparison. The belt is a little thinner now, but it's it's really the same suit even down to the lines in the stitching. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, you know, it's entirely possible that after the events of Fear State, we could see, you know, possibly a return of Batman Incorporated, which would be very cool. Or, or maybe, you know, if not Batman Incorporated, Bruce kind of going on this worldwide mission similar to what he was doing in that first round of Batman Incorporated, just meeting um, different villains and Batman and different nations. And uh, that would definitely line up with everything that's uh, going down in Gotham, given that Bruce is leaving and all of the other uh, Bat family characters are seemingly stepping up to, to take on the role. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I know I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one, actually. Um, sometimes changes can be a little bit frustrating, especially if they're very sudden. But uh, Joshua Williamson was actually one of the people that I was kind of jockeying for um, to take over the Batman title after Tom King left in 2019. And it was really, it was between him, Tom Taylor, and uh, Christopher Priest, who had done an arc in Deathstroke called Deathstroke vs. Batman. And I was like, oh, so great for the book. So I'm, I'm glad I, he's finally getting a crack at it. I think he's definitely a, a great choice and obviously has experience writing Batman and Bat Family in some capacity, as uh, we've seen in both Batman and Superman, uh, as well as um, various other Bat Family titles and, uh, you know, short stories and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it should be pretty exciting. How are you feeling, Rob? I'm feeling great about it. The, the level of quality we're going to get, that we're getting from Robin, is what we'll get in Batman. I'm all for it. But oh, yeah. honestly, what you said about Christopher Priest, that story arc was really good. And if, yeah. if Williamson ever leaves the book, I would not mind if Priest took over. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, honestly, like those three writers are still kind of in my, my top three for people that I want to see have a, a you know full crack at Batman. Um, but yeah, no, I was, like I said, it was the same way. I, I love Batman vs. Deathstroke. I honestly think that was one of my favorite arcs. Mm -hmm. That entire run I thought was great. I, I ate that. Oh, yeah. Book. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And I was just like, man, he just has such a great and unique voice for, for Bruce and um, really did a great job kind of showing the weird parallels between Bruce and Slade. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. And then obviously Tom Taylor. Everyone knows him, and at, at that point, you know, there was no Batman, the detective, or anything. It was mostly just him doing short stories and, you know, the occasional one-shot here and there um, with Batman and obviously Dermot Justice. So uh, I was like, yeah, I, I totally, I, I would be interested to see what could be done um, under under his time in the book. So, yeah. Um, and speaking of Joshua Williamson, uh, I sent a, a picture of this to our, our group Slack. Um, but for all you listeners out there, I uh, was someone who, at the time of this book's release, was not necessarily the biggest fan of Joshua Williamson. I had been reading Flash, and it was it had its moments, but it never really wowed me. Um, I think the only time I ever really came close was Flash War and uh, Perfect Storm, and even then, it was, you know, it, it had its ups and downs. But uh, like I said, I, I sent a picture of this book to our um, our Slack channel. And uh, I, I kind of mentioned that it was fate that I, I finally was able to find it. But I picked up the first volume of Justice League Odyssey. Um, at my local comic book store 
had it on sale for five dollars and i was like well now's the time and I, I heard how good it supposedly was and i totally skipped out on it so might as well check it out um and i i have not finished it yet but i, I did read the first issue and i have to say it was a lot of fun yeah, it's definitely. I I need to get back into it for like the fourth time. Every time I get into it, something pulls me away. But it is from what I read. It's it's an interesting title, and I think it really lives up to the Odyssey aspect. Yeah, it just um, yeah. I, like I said, I think I was kind of going in like, uh, you know, I'll give it a try, and it's not like I paid a ton for it, so we'll just see. But yeah, no, I mean, first issue was really fun. It had really great artwork, and it was it was just fun to see like a cosmic you know, Justice League story and they're riding around in Brainiac's ship and everything. And, um, yeah, it, just, it, it had some really cool stuff going for it. So I, I don't know that I, I necessarily feel like I should have been following this book as it was coming out, but I think I'm glad that I'm, I'm finally giving it a chance now. So, um, so yeah, uh, Rob, did you have any other announcements? Uh, not from DC, but if, if you guys haven't, check out Seven Secrets from Tom Taylor. I read uh, all 11 issues this week and is one of the best books I've read in a long time. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I uh do you do you want to give the, the quick elevator pitch or or um you know what it's about or do you just want people to go and hold? I guess the the easiest way I can describe it there are seven secrets in the world that can and they they used alliteration to describe them i don't remember what all the words were but they could bring ruin or magic to the world basically um by issue 11 we only know what some of them are and it's very interesting and there's this deep undercover organization that hold these secrets and there's another deep undercover organization that wants to own the secrets so they can release them to the world and let the world be free or depending on who you ask, they want to take over the world. Both organizations are working with world leaders throughout the planet. It's very interesting, very espionage heavy, and very Tom Taylor murder heavy. <laughs> That's fun. So, sounds like he was he was uh, getting some of his um, injusticey, deceased murder, you know, murder vibes out of his system at yeah. that point. It it is it honestly, and I when I said it to you, Brandon, it it's not even just the twists that rival Saga. Thinking about it now, where it's at, the whole story is very Saga-like, and wow. where you get connected to these characters very quickly, and then some will die along the way, and you just have to accept that. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> Especially when you get attached to them, you're just like, oh, I know they're never coming back. Yeah. And and the whole the narration how in Saga is done by Baby Hazel and not Baby in, in whenever in the future she is when she's narrating the story is done by the child that was born at the beginning of the first issue. It's the same idea that Caspar uh, I think is his name is basically the main main character in amongst the sea of main characters and he's narrating the story and he was born in the first issue. Yeah, yeah, no, I um, that's a hell of a pitch. Like I. I, I mentioned this on our, our Slack channel, but um, when he mentioned that it had crazier twists than Saga, I was like, all right, might be might be time to actually sit down and check this out. Mm. So once I finish um, the first volume of Justice League Odyssey, I'm definitely going to have to go back and, and give Seven Seasons a look. It sounds like it's going to be really cool. 
Um, and actually, um, for people who are interested, um, there is a, well, I, I don't know if this is in Canada. It may just be a U.S. thing only. So for any Canadians, that was you, Rob. Sorry, I'm not sure if this is a service that is outside country. It may be, though, because I know it's been expanding. But I did notice that um, there is a, a library service um, called Hoopla that basically uh, lets you read um, and watch the occasional movie, but mostly read comics um, and uh, graphic novels online. And that was actually kind of how I first saw Seven Secrets. They were they were basically uploading um, each issue as it as it was you know, coming out every month or so. Was like, wow, this is really cool. just kind of you know yeah, sorry, putting Brandon, your life. Your wind is taking over the microphone. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, it was just it was cutting out a lot. Oh, okay, yeah, my bad. <laughs> Like what was what was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, you were talking about hoopla. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no. For for anyone in the states, I do believe that as long as you have um, some kind of library card or something like that, and actually you may not even need a library card, um, you can just hop on and and they have tons of great comics that you can check out um, and and stuff like that. So I guess I'm just advertising for hoopla now. They don't send me any money. This is just. <laughs> me shilling for them, but um, I, I did notice that they had the issue, so now I actually feel even more compelled to uh, to check it out. So um, I'll definitely take you up on that, Rob. Once I finish with uh, Justice League Odyssey, I, I actually really want to check it out now. I'm taking a look at Hoopla now. It looks like it. Oh, so the list includes 1,500 library systems in the U.S. and Canada that offer the Hoopla service. Oh well, there you go. There you go. So you you Canadians can get it too. But I guess it only depends because there's three in my area, and yeah. two hey. of them are very far away. So it just depends oh, even if there's a library close to you that accepts Google as a service. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm surprised. I, I guess I would have thought it was uh, a mostly domestic thing, but I mean, look at that. Hoopla's already got one over on, like, DC Universe. Yeah. Aren't, aren't they still, still regionally locked? Like, still? Still only in the States, and it's running the hell out of everybody, especially Canadians, because it's so close. I know. So it literally far. makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, why, I, I truly have no idea why it is only restricted to the U.S. and why it cannot just open up to North America. I don't get it. And when it first but, launched, before it even launched in the U.S., it said, we are planning on bringing it to other countries. And yeah, it's been like three years, right? It's been the same website every time I go on and said, it's coming soon. No, it's oh, friggin' man. not. You don't, don't lie to me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so do, do, TV. <laughs> I know, is, is, um, is HBO Max in Canada? It is, but it's through okay. another streaming service. And I don't even know uh, if it's HBO Max or if it's just HBO Extension. Okay, okay. But you have to I know pay twice, have... which I don't want to... I don't even pay for the, oh, the mainstreaming sucks. service, because the mainstreaming service is not that great. And it's through a company I don't like to support. Yeah. You know, that's... Because I know HBO Max has gotten a lot of the, the DC Universe shows, but... Um, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. You need to step it up, DC. Right? It's been three years. It's going on, man. Stop, like, cancel all contracts with services you already have in Canada, and just do it yourself. Yeah, I exactly. will pay for that because I'm not paying for the stuff you're already offering. <laughs> exactly. 
All right, well, we've wasted enough of your time. Let's get into some comics for this week. Right. So. Now, before we begin, I just want to to bring, <laughs> bring to attention that I, through all the uh, changes in, in the listings that we had for today, like who's doing what, I did get a little confused and I made a mistake. I did not write a synopsis for Superman vs. Lobo, but I will do it live and in color. So it will be good, I trust. I promise. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, that's fine, yeah, and and I, honestly, I, I time now, but it's a really long book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there was definitely some stuff going on, but I, I think you should be fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to get us started off, let's take a look at Detective Comics number ten forty two, featuring a main story and a backup story. Rob will bring us the main story, and I will bring you the backup. So, Rob, take it away. All right. So this is from writer Mariko Tamaki, with art by Victor Bogdanovich. And inks also by Bogdanovich and Daniel Enrique, with colors from Jordi Belair and letters from Aditya Bidikar. Batman has become infected by Vile, as we saw at the end of the last issue, but he is trying his Batman best to resist. That doesn't work too well, as Vile gets deep in his mind and makes him attack Worth. Penguin left Worth to the wolves and got out of there as fast as he could, as Vile has woken up and infected some penguin goons, so now there is an all-out war in the lair between the infected and the non-infected. Cthulhu Batman chases Worth up to the roof and gets him to the edge, but continues to resist Vile's push. Vile gets just enough of an edge to make Cthulhu Batman let go of Worth, but Batman gets enough back to send a grapple at him and soften the fall. Meanwhile, Huntress has entered the fray looking for Batman, but is taking goons down everywhere at the same time, because she's a total badass. She comes across Vile, but before she can do anything, Batman comes crashing in and attacks Vile so hard it sends the parasite flying out of his mouth, leaving Huntress to shoot it out of the air with her crossbow. Hours later, Vile dies in hospital, and Bruce and Helena visit Sarah Worth's grave. In the morgue, two coroners are performing an autopsy on Vile and find lots of eggs in his body. Some are moving, and some move away into the vents. Uh, disgusting. So I thought it was a very good ending to this story. It leaves it open enough for more if needed, but ends enough to be satisfied, and we can just move on to the next story now. And I thought yeah. that was brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was definitely a solid wrap-up. Um, because I know I was, I think I was starting to get a little worn out from some of the vile stuff, so yeah. I thought this was a really great way to just bring it to a close and just be like, okay, we're we're done with that stuff for now. Totally come back later, but for now, we're just kind of, you know, putting it on pause and, and leaving it open ended uh, enough. And I guess we'll see what's you know what happens with Worth and Penguin and all that stuff. But um, I, I guess this is yet another book that is getting its main story essentially put on pause, so we can tie into fear state. Yeah. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that, but I guess we'll have to see when those tie ins come out. That's the thing about some some tie ins where it can tie into the main story but oftentimes very loosely. Where yeah. it's not like this character is just pausing everything they're doing just to go take care of something else. It's just like there's a loose connection somewhere. Yeah, and I just I worry that it's going to kind of break up the momentum of the main story. It basically feels like you have to take mm-hmm. you know a month or two away from your main story just so you can have a tie in yeah. to the main But we'll see. Um so yeah, this this offered great art, great writing, as we've seen before. 
for me, is quickly becoming one of the best books DC has to offer if it's not already in the top five. And so this this main story got an 8.5 for me. I'm excited to see what Tamaki has to do with Fear State, and just even after that, going forward. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh... I still think she has a great voice for, for Bruce and, and for Huntress and, and really for all of these characters and has kind of created this um, interesting, very grounded and pretty dynamic in Gotham City and I'm just I'm totally here for it. So I gave this one an 8.25. Um, I just, uh, much like you, Rob, I thought it was just a very solid wrap up to the story and I'm definitely interested to see where it goes next. But we're not done with Detective Comics because, as I mentioned, we have one backup story, and that is Countdown to Task Force Z, Part 2. In, well, actually, excuse me, I should, I should correct my statement. The main story is called The Road to Task Force Z, but the title of this particular installment is What the Fuck is Task Force Z, Part 2. I, actually, I guess the full title is Deb Donovan in What the Fuck is Task Force Z Part 2. I, I guess it could technically be What the Shit is Task Force Z, or it could be anything, could be any anything. expletive, yeah, any expletive you want it to be, um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what we're working with this week, but this is of course brought to us by writer Matthew Rosenberg with art from Max Rayner, colors from Diego Rodriguez, and letters from Rob Lay. So, Coming immediately off of the last issue in which Red Hood had sneaked into the apartment. Did I say sneak? Had snuck into the apartment. It's funny you say that because Dem- I almost did the exact same thing this week. I wrote down sneak I know, into I was the like, side. Oh my God. <laughs> did, I, did I really just say that? Whew. Uh, it's been a long week, guys. Um, this is following immediately after the last issue in which Red Hood snuck into the apartment of Deb Donovan to snack on her food and of course, Red Hood must have had a pretty big appetite because Deb and Jason decide to head to a diner where Deb orders a black coffee and Jason orders a full platter of meal, like everything uh, including, yeah, including a hamburger, drumsticks, spaghetti, and a salad because I guess he was real hungry. Um, but in this case... Jason and Dev are talking about some changes within Gotham City, in particular, the bodies that have gone missing in the morgue in recent times. <clears throat> Jason brings up, uh, no, Deb brings up uh, the fact that Astrid Arkham could have faked her own death, but Jason mentions that her body is not at the morgue, and that there's only one explanation. Even though she is dead, she's still missing. There's something else that's going on here. After Jason leaves, Deb checks in early in the morning to type up a story and make some contact with other sources, and we get a sense of Deb's daily schedule working at the Gotham Gazette. She is able to get a little bit more information on the missing body story before connecting with Vicky Vale and telling her that one of the sources she had been I guess, schmoozing up for an article, Deb unfortunately had to steal. Vicky is not up. Vicky is not happy about that. <clears throat> Deb is able to find out about a mysterious meeting that is going on down at the Gotham Medical Examiner's office, 
to which Jason is able to find out by tapping into Deb's phone, which he later reveals to Deb after he confronts her in the middle of her stakeout. Even though Jason jumps the gun early and decides to take out all the guards who are having their mysterious meet, Deb decides that the best course of action is not to help Jason anymore, but to actually call the cops to make sure that they are aware of the situation. Unfortunately, Deb is knocked unconscious before she can take any action. Her bloody phone is left on the street. Uh, yeah, super, super engaging story. I was a little disappointed that Derek Robertson was not returning on art duties. I thought he did a phenomenal job on the last issue, but I still think this is a lot of fun. And as kind of a, a, a march towards uh, Task Force Z, I have to say it's definitely getting my interest, um, you know, in the in the upcoming series, just raised more and more with each issue. So I'm definitely here for it. And uh, I, I also gave this story an 8.25. Uh, out of 10. Um, for me, it actually would have been an 8.5 out of 10, but um, even though I did like Max Rainer's artwork, I, I do have to admit it was a little bit of a downgrade for Derek Robinson, and I kind of would have preferred him to have stayed on. But other than that, I had no problems with it. I love this version of Jason. I love that he is kind of continuing on this new path of, you know, not being quite as lethal, still trying to uh, do what's right in Gotham City, and of course, I think showing off a little more of his detective chops, which we got to see in Urban Legends and definitely here, and I, and I like that. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff. How did you feel, Rob? I, I loved it, and I'm really excited for where this is going. It's an, At least with these two, with Deb Donovan and Red Hood, it's a very unlikely team-up that I'm loving, Yeah, and I hope oh, that yeah. continues throughout the entire story. Yeah, for sure. And just how much of an appetite does Jason have? It's like we've never but... seen him eat before. And now all of a sudden he's eating constantly. Maybe, but <laughs> it doesn't even it doesn't even look like he finished his food. No. So I'm like I don't I don't even, I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, he was definitely really pigging out. Oh, maybe because you know you know how zombies are. They, ah, they eat. maybe. Maybe that's yeah. That's a maybe that's a he's clue? becoming a zombie. Oh my goodness! I hope not. I mean, yeah, technically but... he already is. Depends on your definition of zombie. Yeah, yeah, he, he de- technically is you know, uh, someone who is dead but is living, but uh, you could technically say that about all the Robins. Yeah, you could technically say that about 90% of the DC heroes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who hasn't died at this point? Um, but yeah, um, yeah, cool stuff. Oh, yeah. sorry, did you give your score? So, for this backup, I gave an 8 out of 10, which overall gives an 8.25 for the whole book. It's a solid issue. Yeah, nice. My, uh, like I said, main story was an 8.25 for me. Backup was an 8.25, so that just averages out to an 8.25. Excited to see where this is going. Even though, like I said, we're taking a little bit of a break on the main story um, to tie into Fear State, um, I'm hoping that that doesn't disrupt the momentum too much. Mm-hmm. But moving right along to our next secondary title. So before that's we, before we begin, Brandon, so just give me oh, a yeah. minute. Oh, yeah, sure.
Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, you're good. Alright, moving right along to our next, uh, I, I called it a, a secondary book, uh, that sounds mean. Uh, but anyway, mo moving on to our next book, um, we have Action Comics number 1034. This is, of course, brought to us by writer Philip Kennedy Johnson with art from Christian Deuce, um, colors from Adriana Lucas, and letters from Dave Sharp. Lois Lane and Thou Law are taking on the mysterious warriors from War World who are there to take down Thou Law and claim her mission. In particular, one of them who has... What is this thing called? Oh, just, I, I wrote it down and I was like, what the hell is this thing called again? The Orphan Box. That was, anyway, um, are protecting... Wait, what... Okay. Sorry, I just, I got like completely lost on where I was. Um, sorry about that, Rob. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so from a weapon known as, <clears throat> known as the Orphan Box, one which one of the warriors in particular mentions she will he will use against Lois and Thou Law. One of the warriors, one of the warriors, happens to get the upper hand on Thou Law and Lois before snapping the necks of the other War World prisoners staying in the Fortress of Solitude. In her rage, Thou Law lashes out against the warriors and burns them all to a crisp. In her grief, she finally realizes that there is no other choice but to fully accept her mission and take action for what she was promised, for what she has promised Mongol she would do. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in the middle of the ocean, as the United States Army and Atlantis are facing off in a measuring contest, Superman is attempting to broker the peace, hoping that this will not escalate into a worse situation. When has that ever happened? Naturally, the Americans are the first to fire, and I hope I don't get flagged for saying that. <laughs> uh, and as such, the Atlanteans are quick to retaliate, while Superman, John, and Kara are quickly trying to intervene and make sure that the situation does not escalate any further. Clark takes quick, Clark takes quick action and creates an ice wall in an attempt to block the forces of the United States Army and Atlantis from doing any further damage, and goes beneath Atlantis to steal the Genesis fragment and bring it to the surface where he will keep it safe. Kara warns Clark that that was not the right thing to do and that this will only escalate things further, but Clark unfortunately saw no other way. John, however, hears something in the Fortress of Solitude, or rather, doesn't hear something in the Fortress of Solitude, which <clears throat> which sends Clark in a panic and causes Kara, John, and Clark to race towards the Fortress of Solitude. Upon entering, they see the charred remains of the entire War World of the entire phalanx of War World Warriors. I'm not going to write that sentence again. Uh, the entire phalanx of War World Warriors, in addition to the dead bodies of the War World prisoners. <clears throat> Clark turns to see Thaula holding Lois in a choke grip. 
John is quick to react, but unfortunately hears that Thou Law, armed with the orphan box, has the upper hand. And even though she feels great remorse for it, she concedes there is no other way and asks Clark to forgive her for what she's about to do. Uh, that was a, um, I don't know how you felt, but a, a really fast but engrossing issue. Yeah. Because it, it just, like, when Clark and um, John and Kara were kind of spectating you know, the U.S. Army and Atlantis going against each other. I was just really into that whole thing. Clark basically just trying to be like, look, I, like, guys, don't make this any worse. And then eventually she's like, all right, enough. And there's this really great sequence where he's just creating, you know, that ice wall. And I was just amazed at how fast I was flipping through those moments. Um, and it, I, I think, I mean, you know, it, there wasn't a lot of dialogue there, but even still, I think I was also just so engrossed in the story that I, I really just love those moments. So um, I am just, I mean, seriously, I, I have kind of been, you know, enjoying Philip Kennedy Johnson's run on action comics from the start, um, even though some felt it was a little uh, rocky to begin with. But I am just consistently blown away with how much I am enjoying each issue. Um, and it, it is just such a, a great and engrossing story for Clark and everyone involved. And, um, never did I think I would be so entertained at watching the U.S. Army go to war with Atlantis. Um, <laughs> just, just so engrossed in that story, and yet uh, it, it has not, you know, it, it, ha- it hasn't gotten like hokey or silly or anything because they easily could have made it into this whole thing. But it, it has definitely really kept me uh, engaged um, so far. Um, I do. Love the art from Christian Deuce, though I will admit I do kind of miss having Daniel Sampere um, on the art duties, and I could definitely tell the difference between their work. Um, so while I did enjoy the way that he drew the action and other scenes, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping that he'll be back for the next issue. I'm pretty sure he'll be back for the next issue before he leaves the book. But um, other than that, I was just very, very satisfied with this uh, particular issue of action comics, and actually. Um, we'll get into this book later, but uh, I definitely feel like, excuse me, pretty much all of the Superman family books are on fire right now. Because, um, you know, I like I said, we won't get into the full review yet, but I was also very impressed with um, Son of Kal-El. So mm-hmm. I'm giving this issue an 8.5. I just had a great time. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree. I don't think there's much more I can say that, that you haven't already said. It was a very, very interesting issue. I am not, and I've kind of reminded myself over the past couple of months with this story, I'm not as interested in War World as a concept. I think mm-hmm. Mongol's a very interesting character, but just maybe a little too flat for me with the whole War yeah, World concept. So just that is bringing the story down a bit for me, but the sequences with Atlantis and the U.S. Army was just fantastic. And it really brought some emotion to the story that I think really helps counterbalance the War World story. And you're right, that that sequence with him making the ice wall was fantastic. I think that Christian Deuce is doing an amazing job. I love Daniel Samperi's art, but I honestly wouldn't mind if if Deuce stayed on the book as well. They're both really good at what they're doing with this this book. So it's hard to really pick one or the other, at least for me. I really enjoyed this one. 
And the the emotionally driven Superman with this story is such a side we very rarely see that he's willing to even push Arthur away. Yeah, and uh, I definitely like, you know, I, I mean, I, I definitely enjoy my very aspirational, kind of more hopeful Superman stories, but I, I think the way that this particular story is being presented is what's really selling me on this um, almost more morally conflicted Superman, where he's kind of trying to toe the line between, you know, what is my responsibility to um, uh, to my friends versus my responsibility to the world and making sure that everyone is safe and we're not, you know, escalating things and going to war over something, you know, silly like this fragment. Um, it's just that stuff in the way that, that um, Johnson is presenting is, is very, very well done. So I think that's why it's working for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting read. I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I don't want Clark to just leave the planet, but it would be a very interesting story if he doesn't. There was, and I... I I think I meant to send it to the group that uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson was... <laughs> he, he had a Twitter thread last night that detailed his pitch to DC and how he's... Somebody mentioned, you're just going to kill off Superman, aren't you? And he said, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just gonna, he's going to kill off Clark and he's going to stay dead. And whether that's joke or fiction or fact or whatever... Nobody knows, but he's really playing it off. Like, that's the end game of this story. He's just going to kill Superman and leave him dead. <laughs> yeah. Which would be such an interesting twist. Yeah, well, yeah, that'd definitely be a hell of a way to end your run yeah. in action comics. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I always call BS on something like that. Yeah. Because obviously these characters are not going to just die and stay yeah. dead forever. It's comic books. Death has yeah. no power here. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're, and I know for years there's always been some people, but hell, everybody's come back at this point. Pretty much, Even with Uncle the exception ben. of, yeah, yeah, with the, well, yeah, with the exception of like, yeah, some some very rare cases, you know, so of, far like, minor, yeah, minor minor characters that die and are just kind of dead. But, but even then, you have to wonder if one day somebody's going to try and bring him back. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly wonder when somebody's going to bring Alfred back. But I honestly also think they might just leave him dead. <laughs> they might, honestly. Because Bruce is in a place now where he's still obviously hurting, and everybody's still hurting from Alfred's death. But the book seems to be doing okay without him. Yeah. It's not much has changed. It's very interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, the main story got an 8 out of 10 for me. It's very awesome. interesting. Apart from the Warworld stuff, everything else is great. Very, very cool. All right, well, like I said, we have one more story to catch up on, and that is our Midnighter backup. And I believe this will be our last Midnighter backup before finishing the story in Annual next week, I believe. Believe so it's next week. Take yeah. it away. Yeah, take it away, Rob. All right. So this is from Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad, writing with art by Michael Avon Elming and colors by Taki Soma, with Dave Sharp on letters. 
Midnighter and Mr. Miracle are making their way through the various rooms of Trojan Solutions, taking down security personnel one by one. Miracle is not exactly happy about Midnighter's methods, but they are surely effective, so he's still impressed. They come across they come across Mr. Miracle's mother box, so he's back at full power, just in time to find a room of monks ready to kill. The duo take them down and come face to screen with Andre Trojan himself, who claims he cannot be stopped, just before Apollo shows up and takes down the building. To be continued in Midnighter Annual 2021 next week. Ah, nice. Very, very short one, as they all have pretty much felt. There's not a lot of heavy dialogue, and the dialogue that is there is mostly just talking about what happened in the future that we saw during Future State. So there's not much to really say, but it's still such an interesting story, and I'm very excited to see where this goes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I did not expect Apollo to show up, so that's interesting if Trojan's got Apollo under his thumb, or if Apollo's just there to be like, hey, hey, okay, no, stop, Lucas, just talk to me. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this ties in with some of the authority stuff that um, is going to come later, uh, as we saw with that cover for Action Comics. Um, because I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how Midnighter will, you know, eventually get, I assume, Apollo out of uh, Church and Stom and uh, ready to help out Clark. You know, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Now, even more so, this this creative team that's together, I would love to see them tackle more. It's got a nice mix of humor that and action that I think Oming's art fits perfectly. So if they have any more stories to work on together, please just bring them. I, I think this, this whole team as a set is really good together. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. So this backup got an 8 out of 10 for me, which overall gave uh, just an 8 out of 10 for the whole book. Yeah, this backup got a 7.5 out of 10 for me. Um, I'm too lazy to do the math, so I'm just going to give this issue an overall an 8.5. Fair enough. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. All right, next up, we're not quite done with the Super Family yet, as we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two, with a review from Rob. Take it away, sir. All right, so this is from writer legendary Tom Taylor. Terrific Tom Taylor. I love alliteration. Ah. With arts ah, by John Timms, colors by Gabe Elteb, and letters from Dave Sharp. Now introducing Finn Connors for All of a Morning. <laughs> Finn is John's new secret identity while he attends college, and on his first day, before he even makes it to a class or even inside a building... A student arrives with a rifle and begins to fire into a crowd. John sacrifices Finn to save the day, and now everyone recognizes him. He takes the jeep he drove in on and flies it to the moon. There he is met by his dad, who talks about the day's events and how small the world can really be. They have a nice father-son moment. John asks why he doesn't do more, but Clark responds with, It's not his world. He can only lead by example. However, it is John's world, and he can do so much more with it. Clark takes John to the fortress to give him the key to the house and a new suit that was meant to be a rite of passage when he turns 18, but he tells John that he might be leaving for a while, so he gives it to him now. Back at home, John is watching the latest stream for The Truth. The Truth is reporting on a boat of refugees from Gamora that no country seems to be helping for fear of their home nation. 
John decides to act and takes the boat to Metropolis, where the refugees are immediately arrested. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so, I said the refugees are immediately arrested by John, but John once again intervenes and demands no restraints. Later, in a roof, later on a rooftop, he is met by the man that runs the truth, somebody he actually saved at the school, Jay Nakamura. He was extremely grateful for being saved, so he returned the favor by revealing himself, and now he wants to have a talk with John about the choice he just made with Gamora, and how he will have to deal with their president, Henry Bendix. Oh, man. Now, just before we get into an island like, like Gamora, right, it, it must get a lot uh, of storms. You'd think, like, uh, with the leader, maybe they, they have a storm watch? They, they, maybe, they, they very maybe. much might. and, and they, they got to watch out for storms. Yeah, and you would think, you know, with someone who would watch over storms, you'd want someone who, who would really understand it. Yeah. Someone who knows a lot about weather. Almost like a weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Almost. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. Henry Bendix. <laughs> yeah. Perfect choice. <laughs> that, was yeah. A, that was a twist I was not expecting. That was a, that was definitely a twist I was not expecting yeah, at all, and I yeah. was like, I um, some sometimes I'll I'll flip through books, you know, just to kind of see what the big thing is at the end. I shouldn't do that, but sometimes I'll do that. that yeah, just just to kind of see. But this one, I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and enjoy myself and see what it was. So when they got to President Henry Bendix, I was like, holy shit, the yeah, weatherman! Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you think of this issue? So, oh man. There's so much to unpack, but I'll try to keep it simple. Uh, so what I've written is Tom Taylor again delivers an interesting tale that fits into real-world narratives. Without getting too deep, the man is certainly a master of the craft, and the artwork's wonders, and goddamn, that reveal is just like all I can think about. It's, it's such a wonderful book, and so grounded, but also so out there and super powered at the same time it's very very interesting the way he's had the mix and, but really Superman characters have always had a good balance of that I find but John is just especially being half Kryptonian half human is just such perfect mix to fit a book of this narrative I think it's brilliant and I cannot cannot wait to see what Tom Taylor has planned for this story this was a 9 out of 10 for me I loved every second of this issue yeah, this was, I think, for me, easily my favorite book for this weekend. Was every everything I wanted the first issue to be. Um, because I, I was a little lukewarm on the first issue. It just felt kind of short, and it spent a pretty decent chunk of time, you know, in a flashback with John. And it, it, it almost felt more like a zero issue rather than a, 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 what a first issue should be. Like, this, for me, was like, this should have been, like, if you are someone who is curious about starting this series, for me, this is where um, you should actually get your start. Because it has everything that you would want for a good first issue. It establishes the dynamic of the main character, it shows their motivations, it really lets you get into their head, it shows what they care about, like set their motivations. But it, basically, all the stuff that's important, it shows what they can do, and, and uh, sets up some stuff for the future, and has the perfect cliffhanger introducing President Henry Bendix. Mm -hmm. So for me, this was like, this is the issue where I'm like, okay, I can settle in and stick with this series and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, and I, I just, I wish that this had been 
kind of that first issue to really get us started because now I feel like I'm actually invested. Um, so yeah, no, I just, I, I, I really enjoyed everything about it. I thought the art from John Timms was amazing. I love the conversation between, you know, John and Clark. It's very, um, very cute, but, but also very adult in a way because John is, is grown at this point and certainly has a new perspective on things. Um, yeah, it just, it, it had a lot going for it. I, I love this, um, this version of Superman that John is kind of aspiring to be. And I think it will be really interesting to see how John comes to blows with the weatherman himself. So you gave this issue a 9 out of 10. I gave this issue very, very close to that. I gave it a 8.75, but because I'm feeling generous, I will round that up to a 9. Mm-hmm. Very nice. <laughs> Wonderful story. Tom Taylor just killing it. Yeah. And not just, I mean, permanently. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, I don't know that that new character, Jay, may may not be around for long, knowing yeah. how Tom Taylor can be. Yeah. So, and 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 shit. Even after everything you just told me about Seven Secrets, I I think you would definitely know better than anyone to not get too attached. Yeah, definitely, especially with the Tom Taylor. But I, like, this is a Superman book, so it's got to be different, right? Uh, maybe. See, you say that now. But it's like, oh, well, you never know. Uh, honestly, you just reminded me about Jay Nakamura. There was something I was going to write in my notes, but I completely forgot to. Um, I could see Jay Nakamura. I know he's probably making it seem like Jay could be like a double agent villain type thing. Like he's going to use John's innocence for his advantage. But I could see Jay obviously being a genuine character and maybe even being John's man in the chair. I was thinking that too, or, or even kind of a, a more hands-on Jimmy Olsen. Oh, that'd be very um, someone cool. who's Yeah, someone who's, you know, there for Clark, but not so much in a comedic capacity, but is, is there to, yeah, exactly what you said, to kind of be the man in the chair, yeah. someone who's like, this is what's going on in the world, this is where Superman is needed, and John just goes and does what he does best, so yeah. Um, if, if we haven't made it clear, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you can, you can go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, if we haven't made it clear, this issue's awesome, you should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. No, just there. There is a big discussion going on after Superman and Lois about how one of the biggest pulls from this CW show compared to other CW shows is that Clark does not have a man in the chair, does not have a person in the chair that runs the place with him and tells him what to do and all that. And it's very unique in that regard. It's what a Superman show should be. Whereas Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, they've oh, all had right. they people all in the teams. chairs, and yeah. it's very different and it's fresh in that regard. And I can 100% agree with that. Like, this Superman... Oh God, Rob, is... why did you say that? Why would you say that? <laughs> well, You're going to jinx here's the thing. it. Here's the thing. The thing with, with Superman is, in the comics as well as in the CW show, he's an established character. He's been Superman for years, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows how to handle mm. it. John is still new to this. Yeah. And he spent most of his teenage years in the future where the world is very different. And now he has to get used to 21st century superheroics as an adult now. And being Superman, all of a sudden, he's going to need some help. He already is having trouble trying to deal with some things he has to deal with. And he's gone to different people. To like, He's gone to Robin. He's gone to his 
his mom. He's gone to a few different people so far just to like, talk about it. Nightwing's going to be involved too, supposedly. So it's very interesting to see if he'll get a, a, a man in the chair in Jane Nakamura, because I think it might help, at least at mm-hmm. first, help him get his bearings and get grounded before he's ready to take on the world by himself. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds good. I know the idea of a man in the chair is just not great, but... <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, It can help yeah, in some I, regards. I think it could definitely help for someone like John, who is newer and fresher, mm-hmm. but... Um, yeah, I definitely... I, I mean, I, I haven't been totally caught up on Superman and Lois, but I, I know I would be like... That's why I was like, ah, oh, don't say that, because you're going to jinx it. <laughs> I was like, I know I, w- I would definitely just roll my eyes if there was a team Superman. Because I could totally see them oh, doing yeah. something like that. I'm like, oh, please oh, don't. Like, do do a family Superman, not a team Superman. They don't need team Superman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Superman family would be fine, but I just I wouldn't want it to be like, you know, it's it's Lois and one of the kids, and then uh, maybe they get Jimmy Olsen from the Supergirl show and. Oh, um, then they bring in, you know, John Henry Iron Steel, and it's just like this big ass team of people. And it's like, just let Superman be Superman. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. The dynamic yeah. they have right now is fantastic. And just stick with that dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hang on. Give me one second. I just. Yeah. Um, just gotta. <sighs> Respond to an urgent text. All right, next up we have Robin number five. This is brought to us by the current DC puppet master, Joshua Williamson, with art from Gleb Melnikov, colors from Luis Guerrero, and letters from Troy Pateri. Rose Wilson awakes from death, furious at the fact that Respawn was the one who killed her. 
She immediately goes to confront him, only to find that she has walked right into the middle of the beginning of the Great League of Lazarus Tournament. It seems that her death has triggered the chain of events to finally start the tournament, but Rose is not quite satisfied with that and needs to get her revenge as quickly as she can. Hawk then intervenes, telling her that the tournament is going to start at dawn. Rose, realizing that it's not quite time for that action yet, asks a more important question. Where the hell is Robin? Cut to an island rooftop where Robin is being pursued by every single Robin in existence, including none other than Nightwing, Dick Grayson, Stephanie Brown, Spoiler slash Batgirl, Tim Drake, Robin, and Jason Todd, Red Hood. The Robins chase Damien across the rooftop as Damien trades blows, verbal blows that is, with all of them, insisting that each of them are flawed in their own ways and have no right to try and bring him back in while he's in the middle of working on a case. There are some particularly funny moments with Tim, Steph, and Dick, uh, but I think in particular the funniest moment comes with Damien and Jason, where Jason confronts Damien as Damien is giving some particularly nasty verbal blows towards Jason, only to confront him in a moment of innocence, giving him a hug, to which Jason momentarily acquiesces before being immediately electrocuted. Poor man. Yeah. Fell for that one, hook, line, and sinker. So testament to how broken Jason still is. <laughs> it really is. And I almost feel bad for the guy, because he felt like he was going to have a genuine moment, but I guess not. Fortunately, though, Dick is the one who is able to make a breakthrough with Damien, giving him a present and letting him know that they did not forget his birthday at all. Dick hands him what is a tra Dick hands him what appears to be a trapeze bar. No, Dick hands him a trapeze bar, titled "Versus the World," something that Alfred gave to him when he was leaving for college and still trying to figure it all out. This finally breaks through to Damien, who. This finally breaks through to Damien, who is able to walk away from his briefly cold persona to finally open up to Dick about his feelings towards Alfred, and his feelings towards Daphne in particular. Dick reveals that all of them have been feeling a certain type of way, but in particular, he understands what Damien is going through, and not only that, he understands that they have a certain kind of relationship that none of the other Robins have with Dick, because in his eyes, and I love this moment, Damien was his Robin. With that, <clears throat> Dick starts. With that, Dick starts laying out some very fake and obvious yells, saying that Damien is quickly getting away, but obviously giving him a chance to escape. And when all the Robins arrive, informing them that Damien will be safe and needs to figure it out on his own. They've all been through it before, and it's his time to get through it. Meanwhile, on Lazarus Island, with the tournament just about to start, the League of Shadows are feeling particularly cocky now that Damien has been taken out of play, and Hawk will be victorious, only to find that Damien has returned and is ready to take action. With that in mind, Mother Soul, armed with the book that she exchanged for, uh, armed with the book that she exchanged certain resources for with the League of Assassins, informs all the fighters that now is the time. The demon that they had worshipped is lost, and the moment has arrived. The tournament can begin. Uh, wow, this, uh, like I said, this, this issue is just, it's, this series is, is just so much fun to read. And 
if it if it wasn't for Superman's Son of Kal-El, this probably would have been my favorite issue this week. I've been looking forward to it a lot. I love seeing a classic Robin reunion. Um, or I guess in this case, it was a rumble, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think this is just a really great series and, and character study overall for Damien. And I just, I, I cannot say how much I love that moment between Dick and Damien. They have such the... They have such a unique bond that um, I feel like even though Damien is, of course, Bruce's son and they'll always have that connection in terms of being Batman and Robin, that's something that, that Dick and Damien always share because they were both new at it. They were both trying to figure it out and they both really bonded over it. And it was something that they'll never be able to, to lose and, and no one will ever be able to take away that experience from them. Um, I, I really just love seeing that kind of stuff. So. Uh, for me, this was such a great issue. Had a lot of fun reading it, and it was it was tough that that uh, some of the other books this week were so good that this one was not quite my favorite, but still was really incredible. So I ended up giving this one an eight point two five out of ten. Yeah, this this was it, it was a very sweet issue, and sweet and touching in a way. Sweet is awesome, but sweet and touching as well. And it, seeing it just makes me really excited for the Robins book coming up. Oh, yeah. Which I'm still confused about why they announced it so soon. I thought they were going to announce the winner of Fandom. But besides all that, that moment with Dick and Damien was just so so nice. And that they're acknowledging that part of the Batman family history, I think, is, is really good. Don't forget yeah, that I mean, part. Because that, I mean, that was a very big moment. Oh, absolutely. And an, an excellent little um, shot in the background of, you know, that iconic moment in Batman and Robin, number two, where they first leap out of the, the you know, flying Batmobile, basically ready to, to embrace their role as the new dynamic duo. I, 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 lo- I love that callback. Such a great way to kind of highlight their bond, um, you know, seeing that, that brief shot, so great stuff okay. um, make you and, feel old for a second that yeah. storyline is over 10 years old now oh my god <laughs> jesus christ right? that was pre-flashpoint and flashpoint was 10 yeah. years old now that was like 2009 oh yeah god. Ugh. anyway um so yeah just just a great story and um i feel like i don't we don't, we don't mention it enough uh for this book but I really do love the art from Gleb Melnikov. I think he's just doing a phenomenal job in showing the action and emotion. Um, I just, I, I, I've, I wanted to mention that in addition to the really great story from Williamson, I just I feel like the art is great here too. The only complaint that I had was that Dick looks a little young. Um, and it was, it was just kind of weird because, like I said, they have that moment where they show, you know, Dick and Damien as Batman and Robin, and then we see him, you know, in present day in the Nightwing suit, and he looks like he's in his early 20s. And if you think about, you know, the fact that he was Batman probably a couple of years ago, it just seemed a little weird that he looks even younger. But yeah. that, that was my only minor complaint. Honestly, it was better than the way the artist drew Nightwing in that last issue, where he was like super buff and he looked <laughs> like he was 40. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I think that, that we, we don't give enough praise and, and uh, good words to the art of this issue. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I gave this issue an 8.25 out of 10. 
I loved it. I'm gonna stop talking now. Uh, Rob, what did you think? So yeah, I, I also loved it. I gave it an 8.75. And what I'm probably most excited for is that we can finally get to the meat and potatoes of this story, the tournament. Yeah. It's going to be so good, and I really want to see Robin and Respawn just like each other. Because they were lunging at each other at the last page, and it's going to be so yeah. good. Awesome, awesome. All right, should we move on to our next book? Let's do it. All right, next up we have Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom, number four. Uh, Rob will be taking this one, so go ahead, man. All right, so this is from writer Brandon Easton, with art by Figo Osio, with colors by Rico Renzi, and letters by Rob Lee. <clears throat> Shiloh has been saved by Oberon. Telling him, teleporting him to Oberon's home, he is reunited with Vito, his agent. After demanding some answers from Oberon, he introduces himself as the friend and confidant of three Mr. Miracles. Shiloh was very curious about the idea of there being three. Oberon brings up Thaddeus, and Shiloh brings up bad blood for Thaddeus. This prompts Oberon to pull out a film reel that is Thaddeus Brown's memoirs. On it, he details how he found the mother box and what it can do, how he used it to become the entertainer he did, and how he found his wife, Dollar Morton. He also chronicled his efforts in the civil rights movement and how that helped him to be, helped him to become the champion of justice he is known for. Together with his wealth and his wife, he moved to Metropolis in Hobbs Bay and to make it a better place to live, with one step being the birth of his daughter Rose. As Shiloh points out at that time, that's also his mother's name, but his parents disappeared when he was a toddler. Thaddeus continues to describe how Rose grew and met and married a man named Solomon Norman, and how Darler was sick and never met her grandchild, Shiloh. When Shiloh was just starting to walk, he came across the mother box and activated it, which opened a boom tube to take his parents somewhere unknown. Thaddeus has since been looking, but never found the place they ended up. Now, with this knowledge, Oberon tells Shiloh the way to really open the mother box is to love yourself, a fact Thaddeus discovered too late. After a moment of doubt, Shiloh discovers the power through the assistance of his granddad's spirit and is Mr. Miracle once more in a flashy new costume. Oberon then reveals he's found Never Free, but the bad news is she went to New Genesis. This was such a touching story, and oh, yeah. I don't know enough about Thaddeus and Shiloh's history. I don't know if their relation is already existing or if this is a big revelation in this book, but I think it's a nice, very nice way to connect everything. Yeah, I think it definitely works for this. I, th I think at this point, this, I mean, again, I don't know. I, I think I've kind of given up on trying to, to guess which continuity this is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, from what I can tell, I just assume it, it's, you know, on a different Earth or something like that. Um, even though the gods are technically not. I, I, I don't want to be like that Glavin, like, oh, pushing up my glasses, oh, technically. Because <laughs> um, I, ha I hate doing that. Yeah. But even though, I, I just I had to say, even though, and this is something that I see writers do a lot, but you um, gods technically are not worlds that uh, orbit the multiverse, or at least according to everything that I was told in, in Multiversity and uh, uh, the original New Gods from Kirby, it was supposed to be a plane of existence that was outside of the multiverse. 
But I, I see it a lot of the a lot of the time where people are just like, let's just fly to apocalypse, and it's like I thought you can't do that, you know, without a boom tube or whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Other other than that, I, I've, I think I've given up on trying to determine what continuity this was. But other than that, I, I definitely agree. This was a, a, a touching story, at least a really touching backstory for this version of Thaddeus Brown, and um, I think it was just very well delivered with some really solid artwork from Vico Osio. Definitely, I can agree. The, I think the, the colors here were really well picked throughout the issue, and especially for the film reel, because it gave a really good effect of watching a classic movie on a film reel like that, I thought was a really nice touch. Oh yeah, yeah. And speaking of film reels, that's a great way to segue into our, our next book, uh-huh. but we won't, well, we won't do that before we give our scores. Yes. Um, so... I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. How about you? So this was an 8.25 for me. Nice, nice. But yeah, speaking of film reels and film serials, like I said, great way to segue into our next book, which features that very thing and more. Uh, that is Batman Superman. Written, of course, by Jean Luen Yang with art from Yvonne Race, inks from Danny Miki, colors from Sabine Rich, and letters from Saija Tamafonte. This is the big finale of the Worlds of Tomorrow story arc. Uh, there will be, of course, one more coda uh, before <clears throat> before the book ends uh, next month. But at least as far as the main crossover story is concerned, with the uh, you know serial versions, film serial versions of Superman and Batman, this will be the finale of the big epic story for them. <clears throat> this issue in particular picks up where the last one left off with our heroes making their way towards the Fortress of Solitude and Batman in particular contemplating on the fact that Arterio created their world does that make him God Superman of course is there to kind of give Bruce the pep talk that he needs to not worry about that stuff so much and uh <clears throat> Super oh wait no that's later excuse me Superman is there to check in on Batman to kind of inquire on what he's thinking, but the pep talk will come later. I, I skipped ahead, listeners, so forgive me for that. Uh, but before they can have their uh, moment of clarity, they are attacked by Superman robots launched by none other than Etrigan, who is currently making his home in the Fortress of Solitude. Meanwhile, in Metropolis, Alana Strange and El Diablo are fighting off the demon wards and trying to survive as long as they can uh, for Batman, Superman, and Robin to make their efforts to shut down Ontario and Etrigan's plans. Uh, fortunately, however, they are able to convince just like the rest of my review. Did I have to finish it? Sorry, one second. Okay, there it is. I, was like, I thought I lost like back half of my computer. Oh, almost flipped out. Yeah, because I, I, I guess I must have. I, I wrote like the first half, and then I stopped, and then I, I must have spaced like a bunch of stuff between it, and then I 
anyway. Um, Superman is able to convince Etrigan that his role in Ontario's game is only as a pawn and that he will not have any starring role. This, of course, is able to convince Etrigan to free the captured versions of the captured, the captured versions of our Batman and Superman who are able to come to the aid of the film serial versions of Batman and Superman and take down Arterio, unfusing Etrigan's world from the world of tomorrow and making sure that everything is safe. In addition, Batman and the film serial Batman are able to reprogram Arterio to no longer be the menacing, controlling, godlike figure that he was, but more of an observer, to which he will call himself Observio, someone who is looking over worlds. Alana Strange, after discovering that her father, Sardath, was using his own technology to send the creatures from Etrigan's world into the world of El Diablo, decides to leave Ran and return to her new boyfriend, I guess, El Diablo's world, to continue their merry adventures, while film serial versions of Batman and Superman also continue their adventures, seemingly... I guess, uh, happy with the fact that they are, in fact, derivative copies of the original versions, but are content in living their lives with that fact. But the story's not over, folks, as we have one more epilogue, and that epilogue includes a small little tease to some of the things going on in Infinite Frontier. That, of course, involves a parademon sneaking into the archive worlds and walking away with one film suit bringing it to none other than Darkseid himself, who quickly discovers that an entire archive of worlds could be quite useful in the future. Uh, I found this to be, as a wrap-up to this arc, just excellent, and I'm very excited not only to see what the coda is going to be in the annual, but just to get a chance to reread the story, because it was a lot of fun, and I could definitely see myself coming back to it soon. So... Um, I, I just had a lot of fun with this series, and I know it's coming to an end soon. We only have two more issues, which is sad, but at the very least, we got to enjoy it while it was here. And I, I'm just trying to look at it from that perspective. Just saying, okay, we got a good story. Let me just live with that. So I ended up giving this one an 8.25 out of 10. I had a lot of fun. Great artwork from Yvonne Reese. Um, and of course, the writing from Gene Wen Yang was solid as always. So. Like I said, it was, it was just a solid wrap-up to this arc. And even though we're sad to see the book ending, at least we got to enjoy it while it was Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I'm sad it's ending. I'm excited that we're going to see a bit more, at least of this world, I guess you could, this idea, this story in the annual, because this idea of, of different worlds and these film reels that are classic takes on these characters, I think is fantastic and a great way to appreciate and look at the history of DC Comics. And I really hope that they do more with it, which obviously I think we'll see a lot more of throughout the Infinite Frontier story. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully oh, this is... Hang on. Hang on. Hi, I'm just recording you. Yeah, yeah, she'll see it. She'll probably change her mind. Yeah, 
Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, where was I? Uh, we were talking about this book and how to tie it. Yes, so, yeah, going into Infinite Frontier. Very excited about that. We'll see where that goes. But especially with Shazam characters specifically, is it going to be just Shazam or is it going to be the whole Fawcett Comics classic storyline? I think it would be very, very cool to see. And yeah. all the villains that were in there as well. Some of them were pretty dastardly. I think Savannah, Savannah is a bit of a bastard now, but I think he was even more of a bastard back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, all the, the Monster Society of Evil and Sabak and all those kind of classic uh, Shazam films. Exactly. Could uh, maybe show up in this serial, so yeah. It's going to be going to be a very interesting story. And even even beyond that, I'm excited to see the last issue. I'm sad it's ending. I know the next issue is going to be Mr. Mixie's Pitalik, and I think, I can't remember the Batman character, I, I think it's Calendar Man? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. Which is a very interesting mix, so that makes me very, very interested in the book. Uh, for a final issue, hopefully it's a big bang. Uh, yeah, this, at least for this one, is an 8.5 for me. I loved it. I've awesome. been a huge fan of this entire storyline. Yeah, no, I, I have as well, and, and, uh, I'm I'm just glad it got a really solid wrap up. You know, even even if it was coming to an end, it didn't feel rushed or anything. It just, it just came and it ended and we got to enjoy it. But with that, that will bring us to our last book for this week, and that is Superman versus Lobo, number one. Rob, take it away. I know you don't have a formal review written up, but please. Feel free to do it however you like. I've written up half a review, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so this, right. this is from writers Tim Seeley and Sarah Beatty, with art by Mirka Andolfo, colors from Eric Prianto, and letters from Fabio Amelia. So, Superman is having some trouble with editorial at the Daily Planet when he is contacted by Jean about a distress signal aboard a satellite. Superman intervenes and saves the day only for the satellite to receive another distress signal from a planet called Telk. This signal was caused by a giant monster attacking this planet, specifically the resort portion, which happens to be the place one Lobo the Bounty Hunter is staying at. After losing his drink through the chaos, Lobo intervenes and is doing his best when Superman arrives and talks the monster down, enough for Lobo to shove a giant palm tree into the monster's rear. The planet then celebrates Superman for saving the day, ignoring Lobo's efforts, a fact that annoys Lobo and vows to take down Superman's credibility. On Earth, Superman is dealing with a wave of anti-Superman sentiment, featuring hashtag no thanks Superman, among various other things going across the Lexor social media. This was caused by Lobo using... Uh, partner ro I don't remember exactly what he called them, but partner robots at the resort where you could go and talk to the robot and it would take the guise of somebody from your home planet and he augmented the coding so they would just do his bidding and ended up connecting to the World Wide Web on planet Earth where they absorbed all the negativity from the internet and threw that back out to Superman's face. 
Superman eventually gets the drop on this thanks to the help of one doctor, and I do not remember her name, the doctor that was studying single species survivors. And they crash Lobo just in time to stop him from causing a mass media backlash on Superman and take down his robots. But the creature, which was called Newman, the monster from Planet Hulk, arrives in time to thank both Superman and Lobo for saving the day and stopping him from going on a giant rampage. A fact which unfortunately happens when he changes his size and teleports in and out through dimensions. Sometimes he yeah. loses control. And to thank them, he wants to bring them back to their original home planets and brings their planets back. Superman of... Oh, God. One second. I forget Lobo's... Oh, yeah. Superman of Zarnia and Lobo of Krypton. So he brings their home planets back and teleports them to their home planets where Superman is now on Zarnia and Lobo is on Krypton and neither of them know where they are, what happened, or why this is a thing. So it was a very interesting issue. Lots of interesting characters. It was yeah. a big story. I hope my synopsis did it justice because there was a lot to talk about. <laughs> I could be going yeah. on for a half an hour. Uh, I do enjoy views from our own world, especially with the, the negativity and lies on social media. But it's it's a very touchy subject. For me, it might be a little too close to home. This other pandemic of misinformation is not going away as easily as Superman thinks it will. And it's it's very, very... It's a very touchy subject right now, I think. Yeah. But um, I still enjoy the story. But it didn't feel like a black label book to me. It felt like just another issue. Apart from the length of the story, I think that's the only thing that really made it feel like a black label book or, or be fitting for a black label book. And there was the obvious gore at the beginning of the issue from Lobo, but it wasn't much gore, and it's gore we've seen in normal books as well. So that that oomph to give it the black label status, I feel, wasn't really there. So I was kind of confused why it's a black label to begin with. Yeah. All in all, I, I gave it a 7.5. It's an enjoyable story, if not a little lengthy at times. And it's a lot of story, especially considering it's, what, 52 pages and it's got three books in the series. Um, that last page is a really big twist and can offer a lot, but considering how many pages are in each book, I figured that's going to be done in the second issue. And God only knows what's going to happen in the third one. So far, we haven't really seen much of Superman fighting Lobo. So it's very... I'm going to say very interesting. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's definitely different from what I was expecting, but I, it's still enjoyable. 7.5 for me. Yeah, this one was uh, okay. I, I think it had interesting moments. Um, and, I, and I think the writing was... Solid in some places, not so much in others. I definitely heard what you were saying about social media. And I, I agree, because that can be a very touchy subject. Listeners will know that's why I'm not even on Twitter anymore. I mean, I, I created a new account to thank the creators who helped me do interviews at Terrificon, and that was it. I have not touched it since, um, because I was, I just, I was pretty adamant when I left you know, Twitter about a year ago. I was not going back because it was just you know, it was bad for me. 
Um, and like I said, I, I think this point, this point, this issue definitely has some interesting moments, but on the whole, it just kind of felt flat for me. And um, I think Mirka Andolfo is very strong as a penciler and can be, but I just don't know that Superman was the right choice for her because there were just some panels where Superman was really kind of wonky, especially the suit and his face. And it just, I think you need a really bombastic artist for a, a, a book like that, or, or even, I don't know, something that, that kind of works a little bit more with Superman, and, and this just didn't feel like it was there. Um, so I, again, we'll, we'll see when we get to the end, but this was a, a, an issue and a series that I was going to elect for dump list mm -hmm. not terrible by any means but on the grand scheme of things it was just kind of okay and i, I didn't really see a need to read this story yeah I'm, I'm also nominating it it was on my nomination for the dump list yeah uh, it's it's sad to say but it's it is a very very big book for not much to talk about yeah and i i think that it might be like Decent read in trade at some point. I, I have no doubt that it will be. Or even when the story is complete, I might go back and check it out. But at least for now, I think you know after this first issue, I, I just I was kind of like, yeah, I don't feel any kind of deep desire to keep reading the series, even if it's only three issues. It's, it's still you know two more oversized issues, and I just I don't know that I, I have enough commitment for that. And there are other books that I would rather check out. So. Uh, like I said, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. Art was not terrible. I just don't believe it was the right fit, and the story was just kind of okay for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the art, I can say, also just is kind of weird. I, I enjoyed the art, but it made it feel like, at least with the characters and the story and the art, made it feel like I was watching an episode of Superman the Animated Series. <laughs> which yeah. again is just yes, completely definitely. out of the blue for a black label title yeah and it just actually yeah it, it did kind of remind me of that episode from Superman the animated series where he first meets Lobo mm -hmm. um, and he's dealing with all of his shit and it's like that's a great episode to watch yeah. but I don't really need to read like a you know 50 page book on it especially if it's like you said black Exactly. Uh, All right. Yeah, if I didn't give oh, my, I don't remember if I gave my score. If I if I did, seven point five for me. It was enjoyable, but just kind of weird. Yeah, just yeah. It it it, it it's not terrible. You could do a lot worse. It just for me, it, it was just kind of just fell a little flat. So yeah. All right, now that that's done, let's break down our top three books for this week and a standout moment if you have one. Rob, I will let you start us off. All right, so number three is Batman Superman. It's a very fantastic run, very good issue. I'm sad to see it go. There's not much more I can say. The art is fantastic. The, the panel work and the layouts for the stories are just amazing and something you've never seen before. Oh, yeah. It's really, really good and definitely... When well, now that the story's done, definitely pick it up as a trade. I imagine the entire story arc will be in one book. It's just something that should be on everybody's shelf. I think, if if not just for the artwork, 
Number two is Robin. Very touching book and just very exciting to read, especially with the tournament coming up. Number one is Superman, Son of Kal-El. Again, amazing story. Tom Taylor's knocking out of the park. Yes, sir. And my best moments, I would say, uh, I had a hard time thinking about it, but I think Damien's touching moments with Dick Grayson with that throwback to Batman and Robin back Damn in 2009. You. That was my moment. <laughs> it's uh, a great moment. <laughs> it I have to pick a new moment. It could be both uh, of ours. Because I, I was having a hard time picking any other moment that I didn't think about more besides that one. Damn you. All right. Uh, well, my top three are, are a bit similar to yours. At number three, I had Robin. Uh, number five, just... An excellent, excellent uh, issue, uh, reuniting the Robins. Um, and finally, like Rob said, getting us ready for the big tournament. So I'm just I'm super excited to see how that's going to go down and um, see what happens next. At number two, I had Action Comics 1034. Uh, this story arc is, is really just winning me over each issue. And um, it's almost just increasing my interest in the story and I love that um, but at number one I had to give it to Superman Son of kal number two again this was everything that I wished first issue would be and really just like I mean just totally brought me into this series and had me excited for what comes next not just with the last page reveal but with everything else that's being set up for John's new status quo as Superman for John's approach to being Superman and you know, trying to be a little bit different from his father, but also trying to honor his father in his own way. Uh, also trying to have a civilian life. There's just a lot of stuff in this new status quo that I love. This kind of establishing issue uh, was a really strong one. And, uh, I'm just super here for it. So given that Rob so selfishly <laughs> stole my moment for this week, I had to pick a new one, but thankfully that wasn't too hard. Um, I ended up giving that one to the splash page of John lifting the boat of refugees from Memora. Um, that was excellently drawn, and like I said, I think it's just emblematic of what this series is going to be about. Um, and I, I love that this is the direction that Tom Taylor is taking for this book. So I am super here for it. But while that was fun, this is even more fun. It's time for the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Which title made your stink list today, Rob? Well, just judging from our reviews today, I think much like last week, we have the same biggest stinker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Superman vs. Lobo, you were very yep. interesting to read, but just went on a little too long for the story that I had in front of me. I think it might have fit better as just a six-issue mini and not as a double-sized black label story. Oh, yeah. Or, or even a three-issue mini that was not oversized. Yeah. That sounds mean, but it just, yeah, I, I just don't know that, like I said, the story that they were telling just hadn't invested that much. Like this, this issue alone, you could very clearly pick out a moment where it could stop, and then oh, yeah. the second issue you pick up. Absolutely. Like that opening, like second issue opening up with that, that one issue splash of that classic Jimmy Olsen moment where he's the giant turtle man would be a brilliant opening page for the second issue that of the would book be of this a caliber. fucking phenomenal cold opening right? i didn't even yeah i was i was not thinking that way but you're absolutely right that would be such a great way to yeah. open it where it's just like i've got you miss and then jimmy's 
Oh man. <laughs> It would, it, would be an editor for DC. it would set I the know. tone so well for a book of this, yeah. this story tone, this storyline. But yeah. yeah, but they went with Black Label for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 perfect. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. Very, still, still uh, that an was, interesting story. Yeah, yeah it, but, it had its moments. Like I said, it just for me, it definitely kind of fell flat. So. Superman versus Lobo, number one. You are our biggest stinker, and we'll be moving on to our dump list for this week. And I think it's pretty unanimous between uh, Rob and I, uh, which one will be getting the dump this week. And, uh, I think I think we're safe in saying that that will be Superman versus Lobo. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, in the event that the issue. No. In the event that the series picks up between now and its end, we will be sure to give it a proper honorable mention. But for now, Superman vs. Lobo will be taking the dump. For now, Superman vs. Lobo will be taking the trip down the dump list and will not be making its return anytime And that's the show. Before we, before we end, sorry, speaking of honorable mentions, I... I wanted to write down but i forgot i want to give an honorable mention to a book on our dump list currently and oh, that is okay. from this week harley quinn number yes. six yeah i, think. I did read that yeah the, yeah the artist difference and i know you and i are huge fans <laughs> but the new art is is very good and i think Josh might appreciate the book a lot more now. <laughs> but I, yeah, I we'll think see. so. We'll see. I'm, I'm not saying let's bring it out of the dump list yet, but it is very interesting, and I think it it's, might be worthy of another look after another couple of issues. We'll see how it goes. My one thing, if I could just give one review point on the book, I, I'm just very confused about the status of Poison Ivy. She's popped up storyline-wise in three different books with three different storylines going on, and I have no idea what's going on anymore. I understand the two things with Ron V going on, how he's going to connect them, but then you have what Stephanie Phillips is doing with Harley Quinn, why Catwoman didn't mention anything about Poison Ivy, knowing or possibly understanding the connection between Harley and Ivy is beyond me. At this point, Catwoman really should have found Poison Ivy. Yeah, I uh, I have no idea either what's going on, and yeah. that was a little confusing. Given everything that's happening with Catwoman, it feels like I mean I know in that issue she was kind of you know a little bit annoyed with Harley, but given that she's aware of their relationship, it felt like they should have. Selena should have at least given her like a, a little bit of information on. Yeah. I don't know. Especially um, at least in my own head canon, the timeline for this takes place at least this harley quinn issue takes place in catwoman between her leaving batman and going to father valley yeah that, that probably sounds about yeah. right yeah yeah not uh not entirely sure what's going on there. and that's the show we hope you had fun we definitely did come back next week for more dc comics talk we'll be reviewing infinite frontier number five batman superman 2021 Annual, number one. Wonder Girl, number three. Harley Quinn. Oh, no. We will not be reading Harley <laughs> Quinn. Uh, Teen Titans Academy, number six. Batman, Fear State Alpha, number one. And the Aquaman, no. Midnighter Annual, number one. And the Aquaman 80th Anniversary, 100-page Super Spectacular, number one. That's going to be good. Oh, yeah. 
definitely very excited for that. We'll be here talking comics, and we hope you'll stop by. Remember to go to notarobotpodcast.com for all of our episodes and our other shows with all sorts of people. With that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Awesome, awesome. Just have a look at the